Hemsoth, co-founder and co-editor, and your host for today's episode, which will focus on HPC performance, energy, and resilience with longtime HPC researcher, Dr. Robert J. Fowler. Dr. Fowler is the director of high-performance computing at the Renaissance Computing Institute at UNC Chapel Hill, or RENC, as it's known. Prior to that, he was at the Center for High Performance Software Research at Rice University. His principal domain of expertise is in the area of large-scale computing and science with special interests that include energy-efficient computing, methods for obtaining performance portability across applications in similar domains, and of course, all the different systems that we have to choose from these days. (laughs) Hi, Dr. Fowler. How are you? Thanks for joining. Oh, hi. Pleased to be here. So you were a scientific programmer at your alma mater at Harvard in 1972, <laughs> and uh, arguably you really haven't stopped in HPC since then, outside of maybe a few breaks. Uh, yeah, that's, that's right. I, I mean, I, uh, I've worked in uh, kind of a lot of, of areas um, kind of generally at the cusp of uh, computing theory, uh, languages, and architectures. And uh, for a long time, uh, the focus was more on uh, distributed systems. And over the past, let's say, 20 years or so, the the emphasis has shifted uh, towards mainstream HPC. Mm -hmm. Um, In in all of those years, uh, what do you think was the most significant development on the systems side and then also maybe on the software side? Well... You know, on the system side, you know, the the most significant development was was the rise of the inter- integrated circuit, and the the scaling uh, laws that applied to them. So, you know, everybody knows about Moore's law, which is, you know, b- basically the observation that uh, the amount of stuff you can put on a chip is doubling every you know, 18 months to two years, and that kind of got adopted by industry as a as a kind of a driving milestone, and so industry worked very, very hard to try to keep, you know, keep up with that pace, um, and that basically produced bigger and bigger chips. Uh, the other scaling law that people tend to not pay much attention to, not nearly as well known is what's known as Denard scaling, which is a set of observations that came out of IBM in the, I believe, the the early 70s, about the same time as Moore's Law. And um, basically, it, um, it, it it's the reason that the computers get faster and faster. And that is, as you make the transistors smaller, um, you scale them down linearly in every dimension, and you get to pack more and more of them on a chip. And as you do that, each one consumes a lot less energy and also operates much faster, so you can increase clock rates. And you take all of those features together and you get huge increases in performance uh, with essentially constant um uh, energy energy density, power density on the chips, and this was you know just an amazing transformation over you know over the course of my career. Um, now, of course, in the last decade or so, uh, Denard scaling has been 
running out of uh, basically it's run out of steam uh, things just don't scale the way they did um, way back when and so as a result um, Moore's law still applies so you add more and more stuff to a chip and you have to figure out what you're you know how you're going to use all of that um, one direction is to go to um, increased uh, integration of, of heterogeneous components so you wind up with um, you know kind of single chip systems for cell phones and the like um, but in the kind of mainstream world um, the solution has been to add more and more parallelism to the chips so you wind up adding huge huge numbers of cores and that's been a you know a, you know kind of a, a, a second transformation that's kind of mm -hmm. revolutionized things and maybe not for the better <laughs> um, right uh, well there there aren't a lot of places to go so <laughs> yeah um, so so talk about the implications on the programming side what to you was maybe the most important development to match all of that development that was happening in terms of the integrated circuit um, and, and what's next after that for uh, very large-scale programs uh, stretching across so many cores on ever larger more dense systems well um, one of the um, one of the implications is that um, in order to get parallel or get performance at large scale um, you need to have parallelism at large scale and this requires kind of a change in attitude um, change in the models change in the way that you you think about how you construct programs um, you know the most of the programming languages that we have today are still kind of sticking with the kind of traditional sequential model although you're adding threads and processes and the like to add parallelism but they're you know essentially it's it's groups of communicating threads rather than any kind of basic low-level um, system-wide parallelism um, uh, but the you know the 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 critical thing is that um, in order to take advantage of these things you've got to be using very very large um, uh, or go to very very high degrees of parallelism and you, you wind up being uh, having to deal with Amdahl's law at uh, you know at, at you know an unprecedented scale if you've got 10,000 way parallelism uh, slight imbalances in your program wind up wasting huge amounts of resources right as you know 9999 processors wait for the slow one um, the um, the other thing is that you if you have a little bit of a sequential part to your program then that winds up dominating performance and um, and you can't go to, to that level of parallelism so the number of applications that can really exploit systems at that scale I think has been um, you know for the worse going down that that um, you know you really need to be working in domains where you you know the the problem itself has has um, these these huge levels of parallelism that you mm -hmm. can exploit right um, 
With all that in mind, as you look at some of the different architectures that are on the horizon for exascale systems, which will uh, ostensibly be here pretty soon, <laughs> they say, so we have things like um, vector-based architectures. Uh, we have things like the K computer and the Sunway Taihu light computer in China, and obviously just pure CPU-based systems, GPU-accelerated systems. Based on your work uh, from an energy efficiency and resiliency and performance perspective, what to you seems like the most reliable high-performance architecture that fits into that very ambitious power envelope that's mandated by the Department of Energy here in the U.S.? Uh, well, I really don't know. Um, the... Um, there's been a lot of work going on um, to um, better exploit um, the SIMD architectures, the GPU architectures, and the um, you know the numbers um, you know if you kind of work them through can give you the kind of peak performance that you're looking for, the kinds of energy levels that um, that you need to achieve. Um, but again, it's not clear, um, you know, how, you know, how broad the the the, the base of applications is going to be, um, you know, for you know for those architectures. You know, there are you know a number of, of, of critical applications that that you know will run on on these things, and the people have spent considerable effort to get them to run on them. But it's you know not at all obvious that that you know someone new say some grad student with a new idea um, is going to be able to um, you know from scratch implement um, something that'll run on these mm -hmm. architectures um, you know kind of working directly with the architecture um, therefore I think you know what's going to be needed is um, various kinds of high-level um, application specific programming domain uh, models that um, can allow the, um, the the ordinary programmer not the ninjas but but you know someone someone just coming along with an idea that they want to try out um, you need a model for them to be able to um, mm -hmm. you know to really be able to to write you know kind of simple programs you know something on the order of of you know a MATLAB script um, and be able to take that and compile that to, uh, um, you know, to be able to, to get, um, you know, the, the kinds of performance that, that they really need. Mm -hmm. And um, for a lot of applications, I'm not really sure, um, you know, quite, you know, whether they, they really need um, all of that. So, again, you know, when... When I was in graduate school, we talked about the uh, the 3M workstation, which was going to be a very you know, you know, kind of a fairly powerful basic machine. And this was a machine that could execute a million instructions a second, had a megabyte of memory, and had a display that was a thousand by thousand <laughs> grayscale. And so that was your million pixels, and that was seen as a as as, as you know a fairly powerful workstation. And, you know, my watch is more powerful than that now. 
Yes, and say so you, you sort of dated um, yourself there. <laughs> yeah, and 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 so the thing is, is that, you, that you've got to understand, is that, um, you know, increasingly, you know, if 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 I've got a you know a, you know a, a machine with a, a um, you know with, with an, a, an Nvidia V100 um, uh, accelerator in it sitting next to my desk, then. You know, I'm looking at something, you know, in the, you know, that's essentially multiple teraflops of performance right there. And it wasn't long ago that, you know, a teraflop machine um, was a, a, an HPC machine. Um, so, you know, a lot of, of, of applications, if they can use the, you know, the desktops and, and, and the like, you're still doing you know what I would call high-end technical computing but you know you don't need um, you don't need the, the the kind of exascale sort of systems and, and in fact one of the the, the um, one of the things that that you know really excited me once upon a time was um, ARPA or DARPA I, I don't know what it was called at, at the point had a program for, you know, that was kind of a step towards exascale, which was the ubiquitous HPC program, UHPC, and the idea was a, it was essentially a stunt for industry, and the idea was to build a petaflop system in a rack, and, you know, and, and this was seen as, as one of the steps towards exascale, and, you know, quite frankly, if, if uh, um, you know, when the the technology for exascale systems um, really arrives, whatever it looks like, whether it is um, you know Intel style many core, um, uh, you know kind of like the Intel Phi uh, line, um, or whether it's the the the, the SIMD chips, whenever that arrives. Um, uh, if I could buy one one thousandth of the exascale system and put it next to my desk, I would have a petaflop system that's all my own, that I could do anything I wanted with, and um, you know, and it would be you know a tremendously cost-effective way of, of of getting a lot of work done. Um, so um, you know, I think that the you know, in some sense, that the you know the exascale technology, um, when it filters down. Um, you know, to the um, you know to the the ordinary engineers in industry or to the gamers, um, you know, will will have a tremendous impact, mm -hmm. and you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. In fact, you know, what I'd really like to to see, and now unfortunately we don't have a fries around here, but I've I've talked with various people in industry about you know their their chips, and and I've made an observation that the only the only system architectures that have really succeeded have been the kind where some kid in Silicon Valley can drive down to the uh, to, 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 to the original Fry's and slap down a credit card and buy a system with that architecture in it at 3 a.m. in the morning and bring it home and start working on it within an hour. Um, you know, it's it's you know it's 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 when the the uh, you know your your, you know your young ambitious programmers, um, people with with great new ideas, get a hold of these things that they're really going to take off, 
and as long as it's it's uh, you know kind of a a you know kind of a restricted sort of sort of thing you're not going to you know where you, where you can't actually lay your hands on it um, I don't really see it being particularly economically viable that's right <laughs> I, I think that's part of the um, the thinking that's gone into changing the course of the Xeon Phi as a product <laughs> at Intel where you know how can we broadly make use of something that's very specific for HPC when we have all of these other high value workloads like deep learning and, and some of these other things so right um, so yeah absolutely so you and I connected uh, earlier this week over a report that you did and or, or were part of anyway um, that link by the way isn't working we'll try to get that up for everybody but in general, I, I, th I think even without the report, what you had to say there and your colleagues had to say there about HPC energy and resiliency may not come as a surprise, but it's still worth talking about. So what to you were some of the most important conclusions that you and, and your team there at some of the other uh, research centers came up with? Right. Well, this, you know, the, the report that you refer to was um, the final report for my part of uh, what was known as the Super Institute, which stood for uh, uh, sustained uh, performance, energy, and robustness, uh, which was funded by the, uh, or pardon, sustained performance, energy, and resilience, um, which was funded by DOE, um, Office of Science, ASCR, um, as part of their SIDAC program. And this was a, a you know, kind of part of a continuing set of, of grants to a number of institutions that have researchers doing performance tools and performance analysis um, specifically to, um, to give us the funding that we need to work hand in glove with, um, the, with applications um, uh, developers um, on the high-end uh, DOE systems. Um, and, um, you know, a, our focus was on uh, performance portability in, um, on, the, on the performance side. And in particular, um, the, um, there was an observation that, um, you know, if you, it, when, you, when you start getting new architectures, if you have to keep rewriting all of your codes to take advantage of, you know, some particular new architectural wiz widget um, that you just can't afford to make much progress. You can't afford to do that to too many codes. There, there really aren't that many ninjas. As the systems get um, more and more complicated, uh, the number of people that can really, um, really deal with them at at, at a low level uh, winds up going down. So our focus was uh, largely on how one goes about um, uh, automating the performance analysis and doing um, auto-tuning um, on the applications. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, I'll, I'll say that we um, were fairly successful with with um, with a lot of what we did but it was you know again um, 
kind of looking at very specific short-term problems and implementing short-term solutions to them. In other words, taking the existing codes and rewriting them to um, or, 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 or restructuring them uh, to get incremental improvements. Right? So we're talking about um, you know, performance improvements and you know, you know, 10% to two to four x, but no, no real improvement. You know, no truly revolutionary um, uh, uh, improvements because that's not what we were paid for. Um, but it has inspired various of us to go on uh, to look at, at you know, kind of what we would need to do to really. Um, to really get performance portability across, um, you know, a, a, you know, a broad range of, of of future architectures. So, for instance, can one write, um, you know, how to have say a single um, source code base that performs very well on both uh, uh, Xeon Phi's and on NVIDIA GPUs. Um, so that was kind of one of the 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 one of the takeaways that I you know I took personally out, out of this, um, and I really can't speak with you know for for, for my colleagues on it. Mm -hmm. um, on the reliability side, um, one of the uh, the concerns has always been how long can these uh, huge parallel systems stay up, although individual components may be very very reliable uh, when you start putting uh, you know hundreds of thousands of cores into one system um, the failure rates are such that um, you may have the system going down um, you know say once a week or so and uh, and HPC only makes sense if you've got uh, programs that are both very very parallel and run for a very long time if you had a you know a hugely parallel program that ran for only an hour it doesn't doesn't really make sense to run it in that mode because you could decrease your the, the amount of parallelism you need and run it for a couple of days and do it more efficiently and a lot cheaper um, so what you're talking about are highly parallel programs that run for a long time they need strategies that will um, uh, allow them to run um, past various kinds of failures. Um, you need strategies for them to do checkpoints and restarts um, efficiently. Um, you need strategies for, uh, you know, just for being able to measure what the resilience is. Um, if again, with with um, huge amounts of parallelism and huge amounts of memory, um, although the um, the chance of of the of an of a, a two or three bit memory error getting past, um, or, or, well, pardon me, one bit memory errors will get caught by error correcting codes in the memory system but not all two-bit uh, errors will and the question is well what's the probability of getting a a two-bit error that you wind up not catching and what's the effect going to be 
on your giant simulation. So we did a bunch, uh, you know, colleagues wound up doing a bunch of work on that. Um, other reliability um, uh, lessons that we took away were that you know, if you're doing um, if you're doing production science, um, you're not necessarily just running single huge calculations. What you're doing is, is sensitivity studies, where you know, with, you know, let's say you had an exascale system, it may be a lot, lot more useful for you to do a thousand petaflop runs, and to collect statistics about that, um, rather than just a single run. And so now what you've got is a, what you need are methods for reliably running huge ensembles and running these huge ensembles in an environment where um, parts of the, uh, of the system may come and go. So that was you know, yet another area that we've been uh, um, leading on. Um, and, and on the energy side, um, it, uh, um, you know, there are you know a lot of 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 challenges there the um uh particularly with um you know some of the more interesting things that 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 we have come up with are, are the fact that um and this is kind of an interaction between the energy between energy and and performance and that is that uh not all chips of the same model number consume the same amount of energy because Intel, in order to sell a number of chips in a particular bin, might um, sell you a chip that requires a slightly higher voltage than uh, the chip next to it in, in, in your cluster. And the, um, the effect of that is that chip now is going to be um, consuming more energy and is going to be running hotter than its neighbor. Well, in these days where turbo boost is a crucial um, mm -hmm. element of, of, of attaining performance, this means that one chip is running cooler and can go into turbo boost a lot more often than, than his neighbor does. And the this just has all sorts of, 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 right. of nasty little problems where you think you have a perfectly balanced application and all of a sudden it looks like it's imbalanced and the reason why it's imbalanced is because of this underlying difference at the very basic level of the hardware so um, right. it's a difficult world <laughs> it's a, it's it's definitely whack-a-mole <laughs> no matter yeah. no matter how many developments there are yeah well dr fowler thank you so much for your time i'm sorry to cut this a little bit short we'll have you back on again um, sometime maybe around the International Supercomputing Conference, or SC, to talk more about energy and reliability on these big systems. All right. Okay. All right. Thank you well, thank so much. You. All right. And thanks, great. everyone, for listening. Have a great day. Okay, great. Okay, bye.